0: Hey everyone, welcome to our series covering the book of Hosea. Before we jump in, we wanted to offer a quick word about the sensitive nature of this book.
1: Hosea is full of really intense imagery um, and often pretty sexual imagery. So if you're listening with your family or with kids, you might want to be a little careful.
0: Yeah, we're not going to get crazy explicit, but you just might want to use discretion when uh, diving into this book with us. But we're excited to preach Christ out of it and go through the book of Hosea with you. Here we go.
1: Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus, and this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see
0: how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Seth, we are in the book of Hosea today, right? That's right. Yeah. So why should we care about the book of Hosea right now?
1: Well, oh man, Hosea (laughs) is a crazy book. And I think it's because it kind of proves in the most, I think, visceral way that we've studied, at least together, the extent to which God is willing to go to save a sinful people. Mm. And that's because he frames our sinfulness as like sexual infidelity is whoredom. He just, he just, Hosea will call us horse yeah. and God, and the, the, what's on the line is um, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still whores, <laughs> Jesus marries us.
0: Yeah. Well, that might sound a little intense to a lot of people. It will. <laughs> I think like, I don't think whore is a word that Christians normally throw around. No, it's uh, not. at least not since the Puritan days. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, even in this book, there's a. Uh, at one point, <laughs> I don't even know if I should say it on the air. One of the sons that Hose one of Hosea names one of his sons. You are not mine. Right. He's like, you're a bastard. And oh, That's the right. name of his son. Yes. And it's a really intense book. It's meant yeah. to shock. It's Israel. a very intense book. I think, and that's one of the things I think that you take away from this book is you just first read it. It's a shocking book, not just in the graphic details of it, but in the language it uses. Yeah. And the mercy that God shows to people that he sees as just wantonly sleeping with whoever. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's
0: a lot of shocking things in the book. Like you said, the language, the vocabulary is shocking. Yes. Harlotry and whoredom, a lot of sexual language, all this kind of stuff. And then like God, we, we see like the two extremes of God. Uh, we, we see that he tells people he won't have mercy. Like I just won't have mercy. Wait, 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 what? You God promised can just me. turn that off? Like you, you said you said that it would be forever. <laughs> and then he and then he comes back and says, I'll oh, have mercy with you forever, and you'll never be able to get away from my mercy and my love. And it's like, Wait. what? It's a shocking
1: book. It is a shocking book.
0: Um and so, um, but we have a lot, I think, in this introduction episode to set up to help people come into this book because it is using so much language that people might not be familiar with. It's referring to a lot of religious practices that people m- might not be familiar with. Mm-hmm. It's in a certain like period of israel's history yeah that, right
1: before they're about to go into exile right?
0: and then like uh it's pulling on uh like themes that have been developing from genesis one yep and that that, that don't stop until revelation yep at the end of revelation yeah and so it's like that's really cool it's a big it's book cool. and i think it's unique among the minor prophets in that way uh, why do you think it's unique uh, it's really, I mean, it, it noth- no book in the Bible highlights harlotry, spiritual harlotry like Hosea does. So it's Jeremiah gets close. He does. And uh, but, that's because yeah.
1: Jeremiah and uh, Hosea probably knew each other, Yeah, right? and Ezekiel also gets mm-hmm. close.
0: But in terms of regularity... Yeah, Hosea... And n- nobody ma- else married A harlot in that way, you know? So Hosea just kind of stands alone.
1: You showed your hands there. I
0: did, but you know. Not
1: everybody thinks that... We'll get to that in the podcast, but it's interesting. And I
0: chose my word carefully. Harlot. Uh, Yes. I didn't say prostitute. Prostitute. We'll get there. We'll get there. there. But uh, anyway, so a lot to, to dive into and we're going to try to help you guys digest all this. So with all that on the line to set up yeah. these categories, Seth, where should we start?
1: I think we need to start with like, what is prophetic literature? Is
0: oh, okay. Cause I said minor prophets and some right, people are yeah. like the what? Yeah. This yeah. is actually
1: our first prof prophetic, prophetic book, book to talk about on the podcast. Yeah.
0: Unless you count traditional Jewish categories,
1: which would include the book of Kings. Yeah, Right. And, yeah. So anyway, yep. uh, uh, but
0: yes, in the Protestant canon,
1: yeah, and yeah. even just the idea of a singular person yeah. s- saying oracles, saying things yes. that are meant to bring about judgment or yeah. God's mercy. Like
0: 99% that. of the book is just a, the prophet talking. Yeah. And so it's just, we're not used to reading that kind of...
1: It's not a narrative. Yeah, we're not used to reading that kind yeah. of literature. It's, so, a, it's a collection of speeches. Yeah. yeah. So
0: prophetic literature then, what? What? what is it and, maybe, and what is it not? Yeah. So I think is helpful.
1: A prof- well, maybe we start with like what is a prophet? Yeah. So, a prophet, we kind of think of a prophet as some, like a fortune teller, like yeah. somebody who tells the future and see into the future and knows what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not generally the way the Old Testament saw what a prophet was. No. Uh, oh. Primarily, a prophet was somebody who interpreted the law for a new generation.
0: Yeah. Or um, that. Or like, it's like, could, they, or like they like they told they told it like it is with God's yeah. stamp of approval.
1: You could also even call them like a like a, an enforcer, yeah. of God's law. Yes. So Hosea is essentially holding Israel to account to the ways it's wrong God's law back in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, mm-hmm. and like what you'll see throughout the book is Hosea bringing up um incident after incident of Israel's sins breaking the commands back from uh Deuteronomy and Le- Leviticus. Right, he's saying,
0: remember that command you broke it. Remember bro- that command you broke it.
1: And he's saying, now you should expect what God said you should expect. And he goes on and lists several of the curses listed back in Deuteronomy 28 and mm-hmm. Leviticus 26 14. I forget. <laughs> it's in my notes somewhere. I'll but find yes. it in a second.
0: So so a prophet um, is enforcing God's law, mm-hmm. trying to tell people like, don't you know you're breaking it? Yes. Here's what's going to happen if you continue this right. w- in this direction. And
1: what made the prophets unique was like they're meditating on God's law. They're realizing God's people are breaking it. And then they also have one like eye to the law, uh-huh. but they also have a, the other eye to the geopolitical situation happening around Israel. So Hosea is looking at the law, seeing all the ways that... Israel has broken it, and then noticing that the curses are other nations will come and overthrow you. Your vines won't give fruit. This will happen and this mm-hmm. will happen. And then he's looking at the world around himself and says, okay, Israel's currently making treaties with Egypt and with Assyria, and they're trusting this nation. Israel, I can tell you what's going to happen. Yeah. Because you're breaking God's law, Assyria is going to come and attack you and decimate you. That treaty you made with Egypt is they're gonna stab you in the back. Right. How do I know this? God's law said it, and I'm right. just saying it for this new generation because <laughs> you need to know.
0: Yes. So, I mean, and I think it's a, a, an interesting point. Uh, the I, I think it took me a long time to realize how political the prophets are, and you know, th- I mean, that, and that's how they started. Like, like the office of prophet in the Bible has always been deeply political. Yeah. Uh, so much so that it was the it was a prophet of God. Who first inaugurated and anointed the first king of Israel? Yeah, like, Samuel. Yeah, they've always been deeply. And linked. even
1: I think the first like prophet type character we meet is actually Balaam in the Book of Numbers.
0: Oh yeah, if you exclude Moses,
1: if you exclude Moses, but Balaam was a pagan prophet. Yep. And the kings of the world would hire him for his wisdom. Right. He would familiar with sacred texts. He was familiar with the world around them. And he was trying to interpret world events through the spiritual lens and yes. give them advice. That's like prophets. Am I,
0: am I going to win this battle?
1: Yes. Yeah. Prophets were always part of like the political elite's cabinet. Yes. Like in this day. Definitely. And so Hosea would have been close to the kings of Israel. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Uh, the kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So
0: political lineages right at the beginning. Right. He's like, yep. what was Hosea doing? He was advising all these kings. <laughs> right. at so some that, that's point. a helpful way yeah. to think about the office of a prophet here is is um a, in the king's cabinet.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. And that's helpful. Yeah.
0: So something else you said, though, about what a prophet is that I want to pick up because I wonder if some people out there are thinking this is you were like, so a prophet is someone who interprets the text, sees what's happening. They look at the world around them, and they interpret it, and they say like, oh, I can put A and B together. I'm not an idiot. Yes. This is clear what's going to happen. I thought a prophet knew that because God told them.
1: <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, and it both are true at the same time. Well, God is speaking through his word. Yeah, They were experts in God's word, so God was speaking through his word. But also, throughout the prophetic literature, you have visions. Yeah, Like Isaiah has a vision of God's throne room. Hosea actually does predict things That the law probably wouldn't have led him to say unless he was directed by some extra measure of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. guiding him things to say. So, like one example is like it's pretty clear that an invading army will come and destroy Israel if they break God's commands. That's what Leviticus and Deuteronomy say. Yes, that's what A plus B equals C, guys. Like that's that's (laughs) everybody else was just
0: too blind to see it, right? And or
1: they had forgotten God's law, forgot this was the natural consequence, or thought they could get out of it. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, but he says one thing uh, in verse, uh, in chapter three, where he, he doesn't just say that Assyria will come and take you away, but he he also says that you're going to go without sacrifices, you're going to go without kings, you're going to go without ephods, like... Which
0: is like what the priests wore. the swore. priests
1: wore. He's like, you're going to go into a place where there will be no more way for you to access God's presence. Right,
0: which if you remember, like, Ezekiel, mm-hmm. Ezekiel, like, the people around him thought that removal of, like, access to God's presence in the temple was impossible, because it's God's house.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, like, he's predicting things that he couldn't know right. necessarily, and we'll get into his his actual prophetic oracles yeah. later on in the, pro- the, the podcast, but your point stands. Yes, he's reading the law and interpreting and putting A plus B, guided by the Holy Spirit, but the Lord's also downloading him information he should not know right. on his own.
0: Which is why one of the key um, indicators of prophetic literature we see in Hosea, which is and God came and said to him. And then God said to him. Yes. And then God said to him. And then the Lord spoke through him. Yeah. And it's they are prophets are also the mouthpiece of God. They hear what God says and then report what He has said.
1: Yes. And they're exactly not
0: necessarily right. trying to interpret what God says, but saying what God has said. Yes. It's uh, how to, uh it's a, a human report of a divine revelation. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Uh, so yeah, the both of those functions are happening in the mouth. Of the I like prophet.
0: that blending. Yeah, I don't think I've thought of it that concretely before. That like, I like I, one reason I like that is I feel like the like spiritual lineage of the prophetic is something then I can like step into by meditating in God's word yes, and looking at the world around me and prayerfully asking God what's going on. And, well, and it's not like, – because I, I feel like a lot yes. of people, when they try to, like, get in line with the prophetic – How can I hear the voice of God? Yeah, well, yeah that, definitely that. Or, and I think that's, like, more, like, maybe, yeah, like, where we would come from. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of other people are like, how do I get in line with the prophets? I need to predict what's going to happen mm-hmm. next or when's the end of the world or – Yes, yes, yes. And it's like, no, like, the prophets are less concerned about predicting – you know, Armageddon, and they're way more concerned with calling people to repentance.
1: Yeah, that's right. Prophets, every prophet <laughs>
0: is yeah. repent.
1: Yeah, if you return. If the word return is used 23 times yeah. in the book of Hosea. Like it's Hosea is calling his people to repentance, mm-hmm. not proving he can tell the future. Yes. And I also think what you were saying, like even just our own desire to hear God's voice, but think how intimately linked an expert knowledge of God's word is with recognizing when God is speaking to you. Totally. So Hosea yeah. is told by God to go and marry a uh, a, a woman of whoredom. Yes. A woman of whoredom. And he's like, that breaks a lot of my categories of what I should do as a man. How do I know right. that's from God? My guess is he intimately knows God's voice because he's intimately studied God's word right. for decades and decades. That's the way you know when you hear God's Mm -hmm. voice is because you're intimately familiar with the words of God. Yep. Anyway, that's a side note.
0: Yeah. I've always thought about like my sheep hear me because they know my voice, John 10 stuff, you Mm -hmm. know, as like, okay, I need to train myself to understand when God is talking in my subconscious or it's my inner thoughts, which one's God's voice. Yeah. It's like, no, the better way to train yourself is have you been listening to God's word in the Bible? Yes. Anyway, I'm it, just not, ever, that's just
1: really helpful for me. I can't tell you how many teenagers have come to me, like, yeah. well, how do I hear God's voice about mm. college? I'm like, well, I don't care about that. Have <laughs> yes. you read your like, Bible today? Right. Do you, do you know what God's voice sounds like at all? Yeah. And then we can worry about whether or not you should go to Philadelphia for college. Like, nice. anyway. That's uh, helpful. Anyway,
0: a little sidetracked. A little sidetracked. But good.
1: But that's it. And even on the, going back to the interpreter of the law thing uh, as a yes. prophet, uh, you really should go back and read the covenant curses that God pronounces That's over Israel in yep. uh, Deuteronomy. It's a Good uh, background for this book. Twenty-eight in uh, Leviticus um, twenty, not twenty-one. Uh, Leviticus. Oh, why? I keep, I keep forgetting where in Leviticus it's in my nose, but I can't find it. We'll find it for you guys, and we'll tell you in a second. But twenty of the 27 curses that are listed in Deuteronomy 28 are repeated here in Hosea. Hmm. Like if you you don't have that in the back of your mind, it's gonna be difficult for you to engage in Hosea as prophetic literature, uh, or as Hosea as an uh, interpreter of the law.
0: Okay, so then that's a bit of prophetic literature. Yep. Uh, People who are familiar with the law, who hear God's voice calling God's people to repentance. Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26, there you go. Leviticus
1: 26, Deuteronomy 28. I was right the first time. Okay. I did say that.
0: so uh what else is going to be really helpful for us as we step into hosea we've got like okay what is the genre of a prophet how do, and like reading prophetic literature mm-hmm. i think like i think a lot of people come to reading prophetic literature and they're like okay so like what does this mean about the future right and i think that's the wrong question to ask of the text
1: yeah i think hosea is speaking to a particular people at a particular time mm-hmm. and he's saying that these people you should expect to, i mean hosea's message is You should expect divorce right you should expect destruction for the way in which you have committed adultery in your marriage to the lord and he really doesn't offer a ton of hope he lists all of the ways in which they have failed and then when he does offer hope he actually never offers it to that generation it's always some future hope right way in the future that's unnamed so the way the first way that you should think about prophetic literature especially the book of hosea is these are the messages to a people who have committed such terrible adultery that they don't have a hope of coming back into God's king, God's right. presence. Yeah,
0: I think like I think a, a helpful thing I'm trying to think like broad strokes when you're when you're reading prophetic literature is like not when will this tell me Armageddon's coming, you yes. know, but what does this tell me about the character of God? Mm-hmm. Like that's every book in the Bible is a theology book, which means like how does this teach me more about God? And here we see God so deeply loves His people that whenever like they break covenant with him it's like a divorce yeah and that and we're going to see how he responds both with judgment but then with severe mercy <laughs> so anyway okay Yeah, i think if you yeah. like
1: to just to put the finest mm-hmm. point on that like don't come if you spend want to spend time studying the ways in which Hosea predicts the future great spend more time focusing on the idea that god is a husband who loves his wife yes that's the point that Hosea wants to get across that's the point not about whether or not we know the future or not. So yes. just like camp out there and yes. you'll benefit from Hosea so much more. And I think we should pa- say with that, then the reason we want to talk about what is a prophet, what is prophetic literature is because Jesus himself like fulfills prophetic literature as a genre and as like the, the role, the role. of prophet, the office of prophet. Um, Jesus refers to himself as a prophet. Um, often enough, and he'll repeat a lot of the same themes and even quotes from the book of Hosea during his ministry. One of the most famous things that Jesus says is, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, Mm -hmm. is from the book of Hosea. That's right. Um, But if someone was going to say to you, I was going to ask you the question, like, okay, how does Jesus identify himself as a prophet? Or why Mm. is that significant? Like, what would you say to that?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Jesus obviously continues the role of a prophet, right? He intimately knows the Torah, yeah. Like he is the word made flesh. Yeah, <laughs> listen to him. Listen to him. Teach the law on the Sermon on the Mount. Like he knows God's law.
1: And that would be a function of a prophet too. He's exactly are saying. and yep. apply it to to mm-hmm. his people.
0: He obviously hears the words of God, right? He yes. is God himself. He is the word of God. Not he, So he doesn't, it's not a third party to whom God is speaking. That's then reporting divine revelation. He is God's ultimate divine revelation in the flesh. Yeah. So like what prophets intimated, Jesus incarnated and mm. i think that's just that's a good like really cool i don't know how i just made up with too. that yeah. i just that <laughs> just, just that's really good no yeah. so
1: i don't i don't even think about i didn't think of even thought about the way in which they received the revelation yes. superseded in Jesus. Like the prophet was pretty sure they were communicating with the divine. Jesus is, is the, the divine. divine. I mean,
0: it's Hebrew says it clearly like uh, in the past, God spoke to through us in many times, in many ways through his prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He used to speak to us through prophets, through intermediaries, but now he speaks to us directly through himself, through his son. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's different in kind Completely, but it's the same thing happening. God speaking to his people, but now he's come to his people. So, but then the way Je- what Jesus says as prophet is right in line with the like the prophets from the Old Testament. He he pronounces woes over his over over Israel and over unrepentant generations. He calls people to repent. What's well, the first thing he says after his ministry is inaugurated? Repent, repent, which is Jose's of, favorite word. The kingdom of God is at hand. Return, repent. Yeah. And like that's what a prophet does—he tells yeah. people to return because God is going to do something in the geopolitical sphere. The kingdom of God is near, not repent for Assyria is near, right? Like Hosea would be saying, "It's repent for the kingdom of God is at hand." Um, and so, like Jesus is doing all these things as the role of the prophet. Um, and he's a, and he he's talking about doom coming. Like yeah, he, Jesus was a doom bringer in a lot of ways, but then the the way that Jesus. Um, Kind of subverts that tradition is that like no prophet was ever, ever able to quell or even affect what was inevitably going to transpire in Israel.
1: That's true. I think a big part, the, the, the prophets failed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The prophets as a title to bring people back to repentance didn't ever really work for Israel. And I
0: think the only way they worked was probably in the way God intended them to work, which was so that they could stand accused. Yeah, like they were told what to do mm-hmm. again and again and again, and so yeah. like so that then, God yeah, that God could be seen as just.
1: Yeah, think about the parable that Jesus tells the tenants uh, of the tenants, yeah. where the master sends a messenger yep. with "I'm coming soon." prepare the harvest and they kill the messenger. Right. So he sends another messenger they kill him. They send another messenger they kill him. He's like, well, maybe they'll listen to my son. And they They kill the son. And they kill the son. Like Jesus sees himself as in this long line of people who were delivering a message about the coming of the king Right. that people refused to listen to. Yep. And then Jesus will be killed himself. And I love what you said, like the prophets meant they couldn't bring the reconciliation they hoped for. That's right. But in the moment that Jesus was killed, mirroring the legacy of the prophets Yep. He does what they could never do. Exactly. He actually brings the kingdom near.
0: Yes. Yeah. He is the, the prophet who both speaks of God's judgment and salvation and is the ultimate fulfillment of that very prophecy in, in the cross where just for judgment and salvation culminate.
1: Yeah. And I think even Hosea, I mean all the prophets, but Hosea really intimately focuses on the need for like an intimate relationship with the lord yeah big time and what does jesus bring in his new kingdom new hearts yeah jeremiah picks up on this ezekiel picks up on this sonship sonship like we are intimately connected with god because of jesus's death none Mm -hmm. of the prophets could bring us near god through their life or their death right through jesus's death he brings and does what the prophets had not yet done If you've read the book of Kings, you know there's just this long cycle of kings that are not that great. They continually set up idols. They continually forget God's ways. And ignore God's prophets. And ignore God's prophets. (laughs) So Israel is in the middle of this cycle and nearing the time when the Assyrian army will come and destroy them. Right. Uh, Israel's already had a civil war and broken into two divided parts. Hosea is speaking to the northern kingdom, which kind of infamously had no good kings in it. If you read the book of Kings and they'll say, this king was good, this king was bad, this king was good, this king was bad. None of the good kings are ever from the north. Mm. So the, the idolatry and the adultery of Israel was concentrated in the north Mm -hmm. and that's where hosea is a prophet um they are um under threat of assyrian invasion not really because they're on the doorstep with an army but just assyria is a growing superpower they're making treaties with egypt um about simultaneously with hosea just as a way to protect themselves they could even be sending tribute money to assyria to prevent them from attacking right also pretty significant during this time. If you read that list of kings at the very beginning of Hosea, this is actually a time of pretty significant wealth yes. in Israel's history. So yep. I think it's really significant at the time of one of the, their wealthiest times. It's their golden age. Is also one of the most idolatrous ages. Yep. And like, what does Jesus say? As one of the prophets, that people who are wealthy will have a hard time entering into the kingdom of That's God. Right. Yep. So like, there's like <laughs> there's so many parallels to draw there. Um, they also, the northern kingdom is also the one that set up the golden calves. Yes. So they one of the ways that in which their Northern kingdom was instituted was on adultery. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're don't know what, founded on idolatry. Yes. Yeah. I don't know what more to say about the history except without getting into some of the stuff that we'll get into in our first podcast episode. Yeah. Uh,
0: no, it's helpful. It's helpful. Just to name all that. They're in the cycle of disobedient Kings. They're in the, the Northern kingdom built on the backs of idols. They're in a time of great wealth. And so they think it's probably due to all the idols they've been building. And, uh, and yet, Hosea comes and says, you think that you've gotten here because of your idols, but your idols yeah. will actually be the thing that causes your destruction because Assyria is coming. And so I think that's helpful to name. Yeah. Um, I, and
1: I think sp- uniquely here in Hosea, you'll, some of the other prophets like Amos will direct most of their like oracles towards the king or the right. leaders of Israel. Uh, Hosea really addresses it to the people of Israel. And to well, the priests. And to the priests of Israel. So the, the audience of this book is the religious leaders, which again, what... Jesus talked to the religious leaders and the people of Israel more so than he ever did to Pilate or Caesar or Or the Sadducees. Sadducees. He was talking to the people and the priests. So does Hosea. Um, And really a part of that is because they've abandoned their duties and the people have joined them in worshiping these false gods. Yes. So Baal is going to get brought up over and over again Mm -hmm. in the book of Hosea you want to talk about Baal worship just as a...
0: Oh, yeah, sure. I always want to talk about Baal worship. <laughs> it's, uh, so, it's so great. <laughs> uh, no, Baal is, first and foremost, Baal is more of a general term.
1: For- it, mean, it can just mean master yeah, or Yeah, master lord. Or lord.
0: Yeah. And so, like, there could be Baal of Peor or Baal of this or Baal of that. And so, Baal, in a sense, it doesn't always refer to one specific false god. But uh, in in history, yeah. But in the Bible, it really did become focused on um, like the specific cult practices of the of, Canaanites of the Canaanites and yeah. their Lord, who's just here called Baal. Yeah, and yeah, and he has some very unique, <laughs> but also not unique, pretty ubiquitous around the ancient Near East types of practices. Uh, and and it's what like what was really prominent is what's called a fertility cult. Which you're all really familiar with, so I won't explain it. Right. Um Perfect. No. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. No. Um. As I'm sure some people probably like assumed or you've heard before is like older forms of worship. Um. In this time, would often like plead to the gods or make sacrifices to the gods to get rain to fall in their land and to like let their harvests grow well because they were so dependent on the land.
1: Yeah. They, you know. Yeah. I've heard one person say like. Idol worship was their technology. Yes, like, totally. How do you get the crops to grow? Well, you worship the idol.
0: Yes, that's uh, really helpful. Yeah, yeah, like that's... exactly right. And so, so much so that like they would go and they would put an idol in the middle of a field, and hope that that idol's presence in their field would make it grow. Yep. And um, so that's that's part of the fertility cult. But then it got it gets worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the infertility there meaning like
0: the ground, the ground taking seed in. <sighs> yes. And producing fruit. Yeah. Now that idea then gets translated uh, into human sexuality yeah. in, what, in like these fertility cults and they would act out this same type of sowing and reaping through human sexuality and you would go into Baal's temple, a man would go into Baal's temple, he would pay a temple fee and be given a cult prostitute, a religious prostitute, like a female priest almost yeah. and they would have sexual relations with that woman Planting in her seed, seed. Yeah, in in order that they would commune with Baal in a spiritual sense. Yeah, so that he would then sow seed on their earth. <laughs>
1: yeah, and <laughs> it gets even the kind of like even the mythology gets pretty gross. Yeah. because Baal is this fertility god of storms, storms and rain. Yeah, so the rain is the semen. Right. Like this is a PG thirteen episode. I should have guessed by We Flag <laughs> this one on a description. Um, and so, like, the idea is, and then the earth, though, is described as his mother. Right, his womb. His womb. And so he is inseminating yes, the ground. So right. that's what you're calling the gods to do, and you're hoping that your sex in the temple will excite the lusty god Baal mm-hmm. into doing the same thing for your land. Right,
0: so he watches you have sex in the temple, and that makes his lust inflame, and so then he has sex with the world, basically. Right.
1: So the reason we kind of put it so starkly too is because Josea doesn't pull any punches. Josea is really not pulling <laughs> any punches, and like God is not bend like going to hide behind euphemisms. He's no. calling what he's seeing for what it is mm-hmm. a perversion of sexuality on anybody's radar except for them, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I mean, think about it this way. I mean, we said, like, they used the idols as, like, technology Mm -hmm. to, like, get the thing they wanted. Like, we don't really have, like, a subsistence lifestyle. Right. But we still, like, digitize or technologize, like, sex. (laughs) Yes. Like, sex- is it purchases us something. It purchases us significance. It purchases us meaning. It purchases us freedom from boredom. Like we right. still use sex the same way that Bale did. We oh, just, yes. We just call it. It's
0: a different thing we're subsiding. Yeah. We're it's di- not our hunger for our bellies. It's something else. It makes like
1: ex- existential...
0: Dread. Emptiness. <laughs> yes, like emptiness. Yeah. So
1: say like we do the same thing. Right.
0: We find our meaning through sex a lot of times. Yes. Like, at least like modern culture. Yes. I don't mean you and
1: I. <laughs> I mean <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes. Okay, so that's that's helpful. Uh did, yeah. I think that is and think clearish. That,
1: that's clearish. So like that's the temple that's the background. The religious so, background. The religious background. So when you hear words like sow, reap, mm-hmm. bail, adultery, whoring, now you kinda know why. Like, yes. This is what was happening. Yep. And Really significantly, it was some of Israel's kings that instituted this worship. That's right. In Israel. Ahab. Ahab, Ahaz. Ahaz. Ahaz and Jezebel were some of the first. Right. And we'll talk about them next week too. Yeah.
0: What's this book about?
1: Uh, and I'm I'm gonna guess where you're going. Yes. I'm gonna guess you go to the Garden of Eden. How how dare
0: you? Assume oh, I mean, that? I mean, I when have I ever, <laughs> when developing a theme, gone back to the beginning of the Bible? And
1: I mean, I think this is a point that's kind of missed in the creation story. But the, the creation of the world begins and hits its climax in a marriage. Yes. Like the high point of creation is not really the day that God rests; it's the day that Adam and Eve come together. Mm-hmm. Like that's the high point of all creation. Yes. And Hosea gives us a really unique moment to look back at that and like what does that really mean especially when God thinks Israel's committing adultery. So yes. anyway, so yeah, talk to me about yeah, that. so
0: main theme being God as the husband, Israel as his wife and what what is spiritual adultery? Yeah. What, what word do we want to use? Spiritual adultery, harlotry, whoredom? Well, <laughs> I,
1: like, I think I like spiritual adultery. Okay, I, yeah. I like idolatry because yeah. that's what it is yeah. technically. Like they're worshiping and bowing down to other idols. Right,
0: like, but it becomes more in the biblical story than idolatry. Yeah. And so spiritual adultery, I think, is the New Testament way to think about it. Jesus calls them adulterers. Well, then so let's, go, let's with go that. Let's, let's go with that. the okay. words of Jesus. Uh, he's always a pretty decent choice. Uh, one thing, too, to note um, is... Since the climax of the creation story is a man and a wife, you know, coming together, uh, it is also interesting. We talked about this back in our Genesis podcast when we did Genesis 1, that the story of Genesis 1 was written as a rebuke against the Baal of Canaan and against the false gods of Egypt. That's right. Because it wasn't like God impregnating the world or, you know, anything like that. It was just love and creation and.
1: That's, oh, I anyway know so that. it's just like yeah,
0: yeah. when you refer back to marriage right. you're referring also to the creation story which should shake off yeah. the false gods anyway right.
1: that is interesting like, who brings fertility baal or God God, God. Does. look at yeah, yeah. yeah. anyway look at creation
0: and and so and and so when you think about fertility too that also takes us to marriage so you know God God made Adam made the world and then um God gave Adam this like task to find a suitable helper for him right and he like goes and names all the animals doesn't find a helper so from his own body god makes eve and then adam takes his last naming project and he names yeah. his wife eve for so she's yeah. the mother of many oh. yeah
1: uh, of li- all living
0: all the living cuz her
1: name is life right. right that's right yeah.
0: yeah and so um and so then god says um, um, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh, and like I've really just always viewed that as like just the paradigm of marriage, and it is. It's not less than that.
1: Leaving your parents, cleaving to your wife.
0: Yeah, and becoming one flesh. Yes, but That's that is also the teenage s-
1: Seth was very excited about leaving and cleaving. Leaving and cleaving.
0: <laughs> leave it and cleave it. <laughs> that
1: was evangelical subculture was really into leave it and cleave it, not <laughs> not the words necessarily. Well, those words oh. I even heard those words all the time. Oh, I never up. did, and I was like. Got anyway, leave and Just cleave leave and cleave.
0: That's really funny. <laughs> anyway. anyway, but it, so it's, it's not less than that teenage Seth, but it is more than that. It's actually the storyline of the whole Bible. Uh, and it is meant to set up the paradigm of God's relationship with his new creation, that okay. he is the husband and his new creation is the bride and his desire is for them to come to him and he, he to them and he for was... them to become one. And, like, okay. that's the storyline. And we see it happen in the Bible.
1: That's so cra- I don't think I've ever thought about, like, that first as, like, that moment in the tabernacle or in the temple is as sex or, like, union or intimacy, like. Right. Or even reflect the That's really crazy. I haven't thought about that. Or, like, a, a pattern that began in creation.
0: Yes. Crazy. Yeah. So, God wanted intimacy with his people.
1: He wanted them to come, be u- united to him, and then go out from that intimacy into the world. That's right. Bearing fruit.
0: Bearing fruit. Right. So they like they would come together and they would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so like fruitfulness, which is what Baal offered, hmm. began back with the simple man-woman marriage or god-man marriage that started in Genesis 1. And so God's like, just remember that first covenant.
1: Mm-hmm. That was
0: between me and you and you and a wife and you know, and so that yeah. we're all the way back there and it's like the the bedrock of this like romance drama that plays out throughout the whole Bible that Hosea really centers in on. That's amazing. Anyway. Okay. So then as, as the Torah develops, the first five books of the Bible develop, um, we see more hints at this. We're not, we're not really told that God is a husband until later in the biblical story, but all the themes are there. He's told, we're told that he loves his people and that Mm -hmm. he's jealous for them. Like he says, my name is jealous. Yeah. And it's like, who gets you,
1: who gets jealous who gets yeah.
0: jealous and it's good
1: a husband a husband when his wife cheats on when him when his but wife yeah, cheats he, on him yeah. not
0: jealous for no reason right but like if you're not jealous for your wife you know whenever right. she would like love another man you don't love her <laughs> yeah you know and so um god's jealous for mm-hmm. his for his wife like a husband should be um and then all throughout the law there is this special emphasis on marital fidelity and against adul- uh, adultery you know yeah
1: it's kind of like that's always like, they don't have sex before marriage passages. Right. You know what you're saying is like, no, no, no. That's actually like, a, a, and we, I think we talked about it we did. in you, the if, law.
0: Yes. W- when, you, when you read a law, you should, you should ask. Yes, you should ask, what does this require of me as a moral right. virtue? But you should also ask, what characteristic of God is this trying to communicate? Because what God demands and who God is are not divorced from one another. Right. God
1: is a God of like loving, marital, covenant, right. unity. Yes. Like, yeah.
0: God, God is truth, therefore he commands, do not lie. Mm-hmm. God wants marital unity with his people. Therefore, do not get a divorce. Yeah. And do not commit adultery. Why? Mm-hmm. Because God is not an adulterer.
1: Right. God <laughs> is like, like, a, like, I mean, like, and like uh, Hosea bl- blurs these lines between physicality and spirituality in a way that like makes me uncomfortable, but like...
0: God that, did it first. <laughs> God did it first. So that
1: physical, spiritual intimacy that God has with his people is supposed to be reflected in the way that we use our body with other people. Exactly right. Yeah.
0: I mean, and that's the same with every law. Yeah. Every moral command should have its grounding in our relationship with God. Yeah. You know, like, anyway. So uh, then it's very interesting, too, that in the law as well, um, when he talks about, uh, okay, you're going to go into the land, Israel, you're going to go into the land of Canaan, you're going to take it over, and then over and over and over again, he, he 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 warns them not to go astray. And the way he does that is through, he warns them of going through a new marriage ceremony. So he he says, because the very first step that he says would be the the, the first mistake you would make to going down the spiral into being a Canaanite and worshiping Baal is making a treaty or a covenant. And what's a marriage? It's a covenant. Mm. So he says, don't marry them. And then, and then, and then he even goes as, so that's like the, the meta version, but then he even sinks down on a national level, but then he says, and don't intermarry with them. Mm,
1: Right. Right, right, right,
0: And then have their children and worship their gods. And, and so he's like, you're married to me, don't go marry them. And so even like from the beginning in the Torah, the idea of worshiping other gods and um, intermarrying to your own spiritual demise was categorized as spiritual adultery hmm. harlotry whoredom from the beginning
1: right that's yeah. super interesting i had on the i thought about like the intermarriage commands are always like what does process mean like yeah. what, what's going on there? It's like well the threat is idolatry so don't intermarry because you know your right. wife will make you do that I'm like okay that makes sense right but it's it's more symbolic than cause I think that's always like the threat is that if you marry somebody, you'll eventually worship their wife. That's I've right. Don't get of, unequally yoked. Yes. Yeah. And I've always thought of like, like really like, um, mechanically, like yeah. if you're spending the rest of your life with somebody and they do all this other stuff that they believe in all these other things, eventually you're going to like go that Skew direction. Yeah. But this is, that's like, okay, sure, sure. Maybe. Yeah. The real issue at hand is like, no, God is a, is a God who has made himself one with his people And so his people are to be one with one another. Yes. Not with others. Not with others. Right. As a Mm. physical
0: representation of a spiritual reality, which is what Hosea does. He does a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Um, And then, you know, then throughout the the rest of the Torah, you get... uh, there's several more instances where harlotry or, or adultery is used. It's, it's talked about in Leviticus when sacrificing to goat demons is mentioned. That's called adultery. Yeah. Sa- uh, child sacrifice to the god Moloch is adultery. On and on, mm. you just kind of get these things. Uh, but um, And the thing that's told them to keep them from adultery um, in one passage is the tassels that hang from their their garments that yeah. are supposed to remind them of God. Mm-hmm. And that would keep them from adultery. Hmm. Why? Because it would keep their hearts loving God and trusting him. Yep. And so it's this, this intimate re- reminder. And then the last thing I want to bring up on this thread before we get to Hosea is one of the most interesting cases of adultery, um, spiritual adultery in the Old Testament is not about idolatry or it's not even about foreign gods, Okay, which is really important because a lot of us don't worship other national, you know, right. religious uh-huh. idols, you know. Yeah. But that's not all spiritual adultery can be. So if you go to the story of Gideon,
1: in the book of Judges, in the
0: book of Judges, and you remember the priestly ephod that he had, it became. Didn't he make that for himself? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and it became, and it, but it's a religious symbol, and it's a, it was a Jewish religious symbol.
1: And if you don't know what an ephod is, it's just a piece of clothing with jewels on it that marks somebody as ready to enter into God's presence.
0: That's right. And so it's like a, that is a Jewish. Torah thing thing it's not syncretistic it's not outside of their religion it would yeah. feel like walking into a church and seeing a cross yeah right yeah, yeah but it became an idol to them and it's and judges says that the people hoard after it hmm. they were spiritual adulterers toward this ephod because they began to trust it and had pride in it and yeah. loved it and god
1: yeah i think the, like The storyline what you're painting is like God has always wanted wholehearted affection.
0: Undivided affection.
1: Undivided, unalloyed allegiance and love. Right. Like a husband would want from
0: his wife. Yes. He's not asking for too much.
1: Right. It's like you, I think you said before we went on the air. It's like, it's not that I don't want my wife loving me more than other men. I don't want her to love
0: other men at, at all. all. I don't care if she loves another guy a little bit.
1: Right, twenty percent like, like at attracted to him. I'm not okay with that. I'm jealous <laughs> about
0: that, and that's a good jealousy.
1: Uh-uh. Uh, it, and like anyway, and so that's what. And, and I think what, what, if I was to divide my time between a girl at Starbucks and right. my family that's a pr- my wife would be legitimately jealous of my time even if you spent 8 hours
0: with her and 1 hour yes exactly. it doesn't matter it doesn't matter um, and so i it think even i think if i play video games right. it's
1: like no that's my time Seth. Right. my wife is amazing and it's yes, she my is. fault for playing video games yes it is but anyway okay the so point has been made <laughs> the point
0: so i think what to stop and and think about here is um just something that we were reflecting on before we came on air As we were praying, I was just like, I don't think about God's love for me that way, that when I do something wrong, I think he's upset, disappointed, grieved, sad, you know, wants something better for me. You know, you can, you can do it in, in varying degrees of legalistic, you know, frameworks, but I don't see him as jealous. Like, whenever I do something wrong that makes gives my heart to something else, like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe this sexual encounter or right. or this meal or this trip will give me the satisfaction I want. Even just a little bit. Right. That God is just jealous for it, me.
1: Yeah. He like, wants me. It takes it away from the action itself yes. and the... The, the intimacy the yeah. closeness that's that's supposed to like that's supposed to be there it's not about sleeping with that person going to that person right although that's on the table the real issue is like you divided your affection yeah you've divided your loyalty you've spent time with someone else when you could have spent time with your spouse mm-hmm. and you made that choice deliberately and god is jealous for affections like yeah. that's a really powerful really powerful and emotive way to talk about sin right that i don't I don't talk about that.
0: Sin is giving your heart to something other than God, even a little bit of it. Yeah. Yep.
1: I think of sin as infraction.
0: Yes. Right. Doing the wrong thing. A legal mistake. Not loving something other than God.
1: Right. Right. So anyway. And then God's response then is not a judge, but as a husband. A husband. Yeah. Which is, I think, and I think I and maybe just the traditions I grew up in, that God as judge was one of the primary metaphors mm-hmm. through which I viewed my relationship with God and my relationship with sin do something wrong. You broke a rule. Guilty. Right. Legitimate category to think about God. Yes. But I I, I think to potentially the harm of not seeing God as a husband, mm-hmm. at least that wasn't built out for me the way that I would want it to now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah. And it's like I just – not only is it – do we just have a different way of viewing how God thinks about us when we sin, right, mm-hmm. as being jealous. Yeah. But it just also it makes God's love for us so fierce, and it's just like, he loves mm. me yeah. so much that he gets jealous when I love something other than him. And like, not jealous, like, oh, I'm so mad at you. He's like, love me. Like, would you please love, I want you to love yeah. me.
1: I love you. I love you right.
0: <laughs> so much. Would you love me? And I just don't, mm. I don't think about God that way enough. Yeah. And I'm just like, man. So anyway, I'm really hoping Hosea wakes yes. me up to that more. I want my my affections you know stirred for that, so anyway, that's kind of gets us to Hosea, right so Hosea, yeah. we get to Hosea, and what we have is we have a bunch of people in the northern kingdom of Israel who have loved things other than God or alongside God, mm-hmm. right and it doesn't right. matter if they loved him them more or trusted them more, yeah. it's that they trusted and loved them at all, yeah. Uh, and I think a very easy argument could be made that they loved and trusted them more than God. Yeah. Um. And and so I think that gets into a second theme, a little bit, right? If we yeah. blend here, which is just like, what was going on in Israel? Was this like? Uh, what are you asking? Oh, there was we we had three themes. There was one that was like, oh,
1: we we talked about idolatry and adultery. Yes. So we have talked about that right. extensively. We talked about God's judgment needs a reason. Oh yeah, and then it was and, and then, then the thought was intimacy in, over
0: intimacy over ritual. Yeah, yeah, and so
1: so if you th- we have three major major themes which we want to communicate to you. Yeah. the first is idolatry and spiritual adultery. Right, and the second is in Hosea really uniquely you have this desire to communicate intimacy with God over ritual obedience right. to God. So
0: Israel, um, and when you I should say this I meant to say it earlier when we were talking about the divided kingdom. When we say whenever you read Israel in Hosea it's talking about the northern kingdom the
1: disobedient northern kingdom
0: and then whenever you hear Judah those are the two tribes in the southern kingdom where the temple is yeah okay that
1: is, um, we're pretty bad still but had just got under like a revival with King Hezekiah that's right so they're, they're, they're doing some, okay they're doing okay
0: yeah not in the long term but anyway for now uh and so um in the north the people were still performing all of the Jewish Torah rituals they were supposed to whenever Hosea comes to them and tells them that they're that like they've been ignoring God and they don't love him anymore they're like uh we love offering sacrifices to God we 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 know God and he knows us what do you mean we've betrayed God you know to put it in modern terms like are you right. kidding me i go to church every sunday yeah, what, what, what are you, you talking mean? about like i've ignored God he's like and so they they do the rituals right and they and they love the rituals you know Uh, but they, they don't have intimacy with God. And so there's that famous statement in chapter six of Hosea where Hosea says, or God says, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. Yeah. I want intimacy. I want covenant love. Covenant love is the word that's there. And that's the love
1: between a husband and a wife. Yeah. Like it's that, it's that intimate union thing that started in Genesis. Yes and comes with like expectations don't hang out with other men <laughs> like right. the, like that type of love mm-hmm. a wholehearted unalloyed single-minded devotion to one is the thing that god wants
0: right yeah i don't do i like it when my wife surprises me with a present yes but what if she only did that and yeah. she didn't love me <laughs> like right i don't want like a new video game or whatever she would right. get me i want i want you to love me now then do i want you to do th- things that show me you love me, like sacrifice, you know, for God. Yes, he commanded it. But like, don't put the cart before the horse here.
1: If you do all the ritual observances, but don't love God, it's not worth anything. First first Corinthians 13. I was was, was thinking about the same (laughs) thing. It's like, if I have love and faith that could move mountains, I'm just a... But not love. But not love, yeah. I'm a clinging gong. I'm a a noisy I I
0: think he says like, if I prophesied about the future and knew all these things high and low, but I didn't love God. I didn't have love. I'd have nothing. It's the same thing. Like God wants our hearts. It doesn't mean he doesn't want obedience. Right. Right. He doesn't say, I desire love and not sacrifice. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, just throw that out. Right. You know, uh, it's. And the way that
1: worked out in Israel's history too, just to tie it back to adultery, Mm -hmm. is that things that God had given them through his relationship of intimacy, like crops and land, like the fertility in the land, where did that come from? It still comes from God. Right but they're worshiping Baal for it. So there's yeah. really all these passages that like you thought the gifts I gave you came from Baal. Right. And so you started giving him your affection and mm-hmm. love and adding sacrifices to him on top of sacrifices to me. It's like, what is going on? Of course I gave you everything. Do you remember the creation story? Do you remember the manna in the wilderness? Do you remember mm-hmm. our whole narrative? I've given you everything and now you're worshiping him for it?
0: Right. That's Yeah, and so it's no wonder Israel loved ritual. You know, it, uh, the the rituals of Baal worship seemed to work in her favor. As she worshiped Baal and incorporated more with Baaline practices, like, they got richer. You know, yeah. God blessed them in spite of their Baal worship. This
1: is, this is Israel's golden
0: age. We said it in right. the, the podcast. And so yeah. they started saying, like, oh, well, more ritual, more blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so they doubled down on ritual and
1: then just the really physical like the physicality of it you have the men in power they can have sex with women whenever they want right it's holy right air quotes yes air quotes that you're doing yeah like so it's like man like we are looking for ways to justify our sexual experience all the time and call it fine like yes like particularly men like we like it's like it's not outside the news still it's like we're always trying to justify ways in which we can take advantage of people so that we can be sexually energized. Like this is the human heart for all of history. Yep. And God says it's adult spiritual adultery, but more importantly than that, it's a forgetting of the intimacy He desires with us.
0: Right. So let's tie those together then that um, and I think this will hit close to home. I mean, like I think a lot of us can feel like ritualistic in our observance of God. Like we go to church, we do the thing, we read our Bible. You know, and it's like, those are good Mm God-given things like the temple, the law, the sacrifices. Those were good things that Israel was doing, but they were doing them without the love of God. And so it's just like Hosea offers us a challenge Mm -hmm. to like ask us if we're adulterers. And that's just like, are you doing like, are you doing the marriage things, but you're not loving the groom? Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I'm trying. Like, I'm. Tr- I'm going to try to make it as earthy as Hosea makes it. Oh, but it's, it's hard. Yeah, but it's like in chapter three, Hosea will have to end up remarrying Gomer, mm-hmm. and says you can't sleep with other men. And I'm actually not going to sleep with you for a while until we rebuild trust. That's kind of like the yeah. implication. Um, there's a really real, like we're leaving God's love and intimacy on the line mm. when we sin, and when we trust other things. Yep. Like, there's actually real. Like, there is. And an analogy to sexual pleasure in experiencing God that we're missing out on when we choose to have something else. Yes. We choose to trust something else. Believe in something else. In the same way that like we miss out on intimacy with a spouse because we're chasing after it with intimacy with somebody else. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens in our relationship with God. And Jose is inviting us to want that really tactile, physical, sensual, like sensational experience of God's love by saying no to the things that we want to run to.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I think the third theme kind of like comes after this. Yes. Is this idea that um, every time God judges his people through Hosea or promises judgment to his people through Hosea, he does two things we've talked about it already. He first grounds it, In a specific law that they've broken in the Old Testament, he says, "I'm going to judge you because of this." And there is legal grounding, guilty in court. This goes back to if if there was a divorce lawyer present, Mm -hmm. he would have had the he would have gotten keep the kids.
1: You know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It goes back to the fact that Jose is repeating twenty of the twenty-seven curses. Like he's repeating covenant breaking Israel does and said, the consequence of this is exile. The right. consequence of this is you're no longer my people. The consequence of this is you're going to go to that nation because you did this, because you did this, because you did this. That's right. And if you go throughout it, the whole book, there is never a curse that doesn't have a reason.
0: That's right. But then, so so that's, that's really clear. Yeah. The weird thing, and it shocked me. You even told me this before I read through it, and the weird thing about Hosea is Um, for, and and like the the way God talks about his judgment is scary. Like you're not my people. I'll have no mercy. Like it's intense. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And like, yeah, I see why there's the grounding for it. But then out of nowhere, he'll just be like, but I will have compassion on my people and I will woo them back to me and I will love them with an everlasting love and all this stuff. And we're never given a reason. We're never told because they love me or because they returned or because... And we get that in some other prophets.
1: Never in Hosea. Not in Hosea. Every punishment has a reason. Every expression of God's love never does. Yeah. It's profound. It is profound. It's like God's judgment needs a reason, but his compassion never does.
0: Right. And the point of that is to highlight God as the best husband ever. Mm -hmm. Like God as the husband who comes to his bride when she doesn't deserve it, when she's left him yeah. and like, just loves her <laughs> with f- like ferocity all over again. And I think one of the, one of the interesting things that comes up whenever God does that is he doesn't come to her and say, and then I will return my harlot bride to myself and we'll try to move past it. You know, I, you know, you think about an earthly marriage mm-hmm. where it's like uh, a husband and a wife, they get married, the wife cheats the husband. Um, decides to continue to pursue her. They get back together, and they you know go to a counselor, and they work past the marital infidelity, and they end up having a healthy marriage. It's a little different here. It's very different here because God remakes his bride hmm. into like a new spotless bride, and he doesn't like he doesn't marry her again. The word they use is betroth her again. They get engaged hmm. again. He proposes, and the reason why he brings it up that way is to like show that we're, it's a fresh start you're a new bride yeah i'm not picking up where we left off i'm doing a new i'm starting a new creation in you like we're going back to the garden of eden you know yeah anyway it's just like and 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 i don't need a reason to love you like that i love you because i love you and that's something to me that i just like i think that's probably one of the hardest things in my christian walk to believe is that god doesn't need a reason to love me god doesn't need a reason to love me
1: god so loved the world that he gave his only son okay but why (laughs) yeah. <laughs> because God loved the world. God loved the world. The sinful, broken, whorish yeah. world. He loved. God loved.
0: And loves. And I like, that's just I was oh. listening
1: to like he he was he's not a Christian thinker, but he 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 calls himself a born-again pagan. I can't remember his name. Anyway, no. he was talking about the character of true love. And he talked about it in these terms. He said, like, whenever you're young you love people for reasons. You love them because they're beautiful. Like, attraction is based on something about them. Mm. You think they're beautiful. You think they're funny. You think they're smart. You think they're sexy, whatever it yeah. is. That's why you love them. That's why you like them. That's why you get married. But as you age and all those things kind of pass away, mm. like nobody nobody in their 80s is convinced the other person's sexy anymore. Like, <laughs> you know, like there's no like, you fought for decades together. Like you, there's like, they, they're not funny anymore. You've heard all their jokes. They're tired. Like you're dying but you still love one another. Why? Just because you do. Right. And he's like that type of 80 year old love is, he's like, that's the purest form of love.
0: And God's is eternal and timeless. And And like he can love in a way no one else can. Yeah. Because like if we, if, if the older we get our love is trending toward some semblance of true love, like he's talking about here, we can love just for loving that person's sake but like as we get older, we're like nearing toward this eternal bent or something. Mm-hmm. Then God is superseding that and forever yeah. and like loves because he loves because he can. Yeah. Forever.
1: And it's like, I don't like even, I've been I've been married 10 years. Yeah. I've had kids for a few, a few less years than that. And it's like, I think the better analogy for me is almost, I love my kids for no reason. Yes.
0: Other than the fact that they're my kids. Right. They give you a lot of reasons not to love them. They give
1: me so many reasons <laughs> not to love them. But like, why do I love them? Because you're my, my daughter yeah period right um yes and that theme is one of the main themes of the book of hosea it is and it's seen in jesus yes we, 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 we talked about this yet no oh, we did i just we quoted did. john Well, yeah but
0: but like why did jesus die on the cross for us
1: <laughs> because we deserved it while we were still <laughs> whores christ died for us yes. while we were still sinners while we were still enemies christ died for That's us right We are never given a reason in the Gospels, are we? no. For Jesus' death on the cross?
0: No, no.
1: Out of his great love for us. Out
0: of his great love for us.
1: But God, rich in mercy. Yes. Because of the steadfast love, his great love. It it
0: is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no man can boast, for it is a gift from God. Hmm. Ephesians 2, like, we are saved by grace alone because of the great love with which he loved us. Like, if you want to meditate on that, go, yeah, go read Ephesians one and two. That's a great place to go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it, it, Jesus died on the cross for us, taking the judgment that was grounded in the mm-hmm. old Testament law, Yeah. you know, and in the fabric of reality, we were whores that had broken our covenant with God and Jesus took the punishment that the Assyrians brought on Northern Israel. He took that punishment for them mm-hmm. and then gave groundless grace to a bunch of prostitutes, which is why Jesus goes to
1: prostitutes.
0: Oh, well, yeah. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> well, at that, that, that moment. I just don't think I've made the explicit connection.
1: Yeah. I was like, why is it that Jesus during his ministry is going to the sexually immoral right. and the, 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 the politically treasonous? Yes. Mary yeah. Magdalene. Yes. Yeah. Oh,
0: That's to show heart. us that
1: his heart is for those who have like
0: broken his. Yeah. Man, it's the Book of Hosea, okay. guys. Okay, well, I'm excited to keep going on this. So, yeah, that's the Book of Hosea. We'll dive into more specifically. Yeah, we'll do cha-
1: Next week, we'll be in chapters one to three, and that kind of gets to the center, like the center metaphor, yep. central metaphor yes. for the whole book. It's whoredom and marriage. Yeah, we'll talk about all the complicated com- complexities there. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see you next week in Hosea one to three. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.